Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. Today, we are in part three of our message series called All In, and we are looking at the greatest message that was ever given, and it was given by Jesus Christ, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is found in, let's do a little quiz, it's found in Matthew... Man, you were on it. I mean, you must have been here like for like both services. So everybody give them applause. I mean, that was impressive. She was like ready. I planted her in the crowd. But anyways, no. But uh, it's been an amazing series. And the reason that we've been focused on this Sermon of the Mount is that it is a message that Jesus gave to describe what it means to be all in, uh, to follow God and to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so the reason that this message got so much attention is because he said that everyone, everyone is able to be acceptable before God and enter into the kingdom of God. And that flew in the face of what was being taught by the religious leaders of the day. They were teaching that the only way to be accepted before God was to follow all the rules and to be religiously perfect. And yet what we found out in the last two weeks that uh, even though Jesus raised the bar even higher and even more of perfection, that it came down to a matter of the heart. And so when we receive a new heart, then we can be all in uh, with Jesus and with God. And so many of you for the last two weeks, uh, when there's been an opportunity to respond and put your faith and trust in Jesus, many of you have received a new heart and have become a Christ follower. And then last week, uh, once we learned that we have this new heart and that it is possible to be on all in, last week I interviewed my friend uh, Jeff and he shared with us how he has had anger as a part of his life and that has controlled him. And so many of you chose to forgive just like my friend uh, Jeff did as well. Uh, and resolve the anger that you've had against someone for a very long time, that you've allowed anger and bitterness to control you presently and then also your future, but you chose to forgive. So if you miss any part of the series, I highly recommend that you check it out on our podcast uh, to catch up and to hear uh, the last two weeks. Now today we're going to continue to focus in on the Sermon of the Mount, and we're going to pick up in a section where Jesus Jesus addresses uh, the hearts of those who wanted to be all in. They were interested in Jesus. They wanted to check him out. And so he spends, uh, uh, he deals with six different subjects uh, that he brought before them. And if you are like checking out this whole God thing, or if you are uh, wondering if God could ever speak into my situation, realize that Jesus brought up these six subjects before anyone ever asked him about these six subjects. And the reason he did that is because he knew what was on the hearts and minds of those who were listening to him, and he wanted them to find healing just as he wants us to find healing as well. Now, I'm not going to cover all six subjects because I'm not Jesus, okay? If you're expecting him, I'm not him, all right? And so today, I'm only going to focus on one of these subjects uh, because it impacts all of us. It has an unbearable weight that we have carried long enough, and um, it is a subject that grieves all of our hearts, and I can't think of anyone who has not been impacted by uh, this subject, and it is the subject of divorce. 
So let me tell you some of my first interactions with divorce. Uh, growing up, I had two best friends uh, who lived with their mothers as a result of divorce. And I met them very young, and we were best friends all the way through high school. And so I met John literally in preschool, and we became best friends in second grade. And uh, his mother, uh, it seemed like she was always fighting his dad and always trying to get him to pay for something that he would not pay for. And so when we were at our baseball games, John always wondered if his dad was going to show up. And if his dad did, sure enough, after our baseball game, his mother was always chasing down his father and uh, trying to get him to just help out with just a simple bill. And he had enough money. He had more than enough money to be able to help out, but he refused often uh, to help them out. And then my other friend, Dan, uh, we met in first grade, and it wasn't a question of whether his dad was going to show up at our baseball games. Um, The answer was always no. Uh, His dad didn't want anything to do with him or with his sister. And the only time that my friend looked forward to seeing his dad was on his birthday. But unfortunately, all too often, uh, Dan's dad uh, didn't even show up for that. And so every year, Uh, Dan's birthday became uh, this. It became uh, something he did not look forward to happening because he knew that it was another promise that would be made and ultimately broken. That's what he looked forward to. And so I know uh, that many of us have unfortunately been left in the wake of divorce. I saw, I had a front row seat to seeing my two best friends growing up for 15 years and what it did to them on a regular basis. And I know that this is a subject that um, impacts all of us. I've worked hard on several different marriages in the past to help them not end in divorce. And so wherever you are at, whether you are a uh, child or an adult who's had parents who've divorced, or whether you are someone who's divorced you and your spouse um, was unfaithful, or they abandoned you or abused you, or you're the person that maybe uh, caused the marriage to end legitimately or illegitimately, or you're the person uh, who's contemplating going through a divorce or finalizing a divorce right now, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear that our hearts break for you, and we hurt for you, and we want you to know that you are welcomed here, okay? Too long has the church not said that you are welcomed here. And so today, I want to let you know that you are welcome here in this spot. And I want you also to understand that today, as we unpack what Jesus talked about in divorce, uh, that I'm not going to be able to uh, talk about everything that may pertain to your exact situation or what you have gone through. And I know that I might stumble upon my words without knowing it, something that may cause uh, a hurt in you and that you may want to shut down or tune me out, and all that I ask is that you listen to the entire message, okay? And let today be a conversation that begins rather than a conversation that ends, all right? So do we have a deal? Deal? 
Awesome. All right, well, let's go check out what Jesus said about divorce in his own words, and let's see what he said and what he meant by them. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 in your Bibles uh, or your smartphone devices. If you don't have a Bible, always feel free to have one uh, from the back as our gift to you. And then we'll also be putting up the verses on the screen. But go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. And I'll give you a moment to turn there. Now, it's really important that we understand uh, what was going on in the day that Jesus spoke these words. Uh, Very important. So marriage started out in the Jewish culture as being something very sacred. But unfortunately, when Jesus came around, divorce was starting to pick up steam and becoming rampant. And so at the time, there were two camps within uh, Judaism, within the religion. There was a camp that said that ultimately, if someone uh, was... uh, in the marriage and had committed adultery, then that was the reason that they could divorce and it was the reason to divorce. Then there was another side that um, said that husbands had the right to divorce their wives for pretty much any reason. And I'm about to show you a actual list from back then of the reasons of that they said a husband could divorce a wife. I did not make these up just as a warning. And so, and I quote, spoiling a dish of food, burning the toast, twirling in the street. Let's go twirling, man, all right? Talking with a male stranger, letting down her hair in public, speaking disrespectfully uh, to her husband, speaking disrespectfully of her mother-in-law. Well, what about the mother-in-law? Speaking so loudly that her voice could be heard next door. And I didn't want to put this on the list, but it was acceptable out there, and they didn't want to put it on the list, but it was well known that a husband could also divorce his wife and remarry if he found a more beautiful woman. And so that's what was going on. And then to top it all off, you've got other cultures that are influencing the Jews, like the Greeks, whose practices uh, for marriage and divorce were influencing the Jews as well. And the Greeks, they demanded that their wife uh, live and serve in seclusion of the home and that they just minded the children and ran the household. But yet it was an acceptable practice for the husbands to go out and to sleep around with prostitutes and then also to potentially have some concubines right there in the home as well. So you've got all this going on in Jesus's day. That's what was going on. Divorce was starting to get easier and easier. And the ones who were hurt the most in that day were the women, okay? Because they almost had no rights at all. And they could not initiate a divorce with their husbands. Only the husbands could initiate a divorce with the woman. And so you've got women being treated like objects and tossed aside when they were literally, in their minds, no longer useful, So that's what we're going into. That's what Jesus is talking uh, in this situation about. And that's why he spoke these words. There were many in the crowd uh, that were listening to him today or listening to him in that day that were hurting from the impact of divorce. So let's begin in Matthew 5, 31. 
Jesus said, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. Now, when you're in the crowd and you heard Jesus say, you have heard the law that says, everybody knew what was coming. I mean, they knew he was about to make, uh, he was making a reference to the religious leaders and he was about to teach something else. And so they got their phones out. They were ready to like tweet what was coming out next because they were excited to hear what Jesus was about to say. And so this is what he said. He said in verse 31, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. And here comes the contrast, the shocking statement. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And so now you've got this crowd that probably gasps literally, and some that felt relief um, from the words that Jesus said. And let me tell you why. Jesus just made it a lot harder to get divorced. And so some were probably relieved uh, in the audience because there's that religious camp that's out there that says that husbands could divorce uh, their wives for any reason. And so Jesus right here just elevates for women security and protection like they've had never had before. And so these words meant so much to them and they were so relieved in that moment because this was unheard of for a man to take up and defend a woman in a male-driven culture at the time, and those words just provide security and protection for them. But there's more in the statement as well. Let's check it out. When Jesus says, unless she has been unfaithful, the word for unless, it's what's called a conditional clause, okay? It means that Jesus was not teaching that if someone did commit adultery, it was an automatic divorce. Let me say that again. It means that Jesus was not teaching that if someone did commit adultery, it was an automatic divorce. So what was Jesus teaching? I'll come back to that in a moment, okay? But here's why some of the crowd was stunned. Some of the crowd was stunned because they sided with the other camp that said, um, that were the more stricter religious group, and they taught that if there was adultery in the marriage, the law required, it required an automatic divorce. And so it's like this, when you go and visit uh, the doctor and his solution to your health problem is to amputate your arm, it better be the right call, you know? But if the doctor's solutions for everyone as they come with their health concerns was an automatic amputation, then there's something wrong with the doctor, okay? Uh, because if that were true, you would have over half the population walking around with only one arm. But unfortunately, isn't that what's happening today? Isn't that what we do, and we have such an easy go-to in saying that there should be an automatic divorce? Listen to what non-religious, this is non-religious uh, people have noted about the trends in marriage, okay? Again, non-religious. 
Legal scholar John Witt Jr. says that the earlier ideal of marriage as a permanent contractual union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection is slowly giving way to a new reality of marriage as a terminal sexual contract designed for the gratification of individual parties. And then here's what sociologists are finding as well. Here's a summary of what many sociologists have said. Sociologists argue that in contemporary Western society, the marketplace has become so dominant that that the consumer model increasingly characterizes most relationships that historically were covenantal, including marriage. So today, we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular need at an acceptable cost to us. When we cease to make a profit, that is, when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we are getting back, then we cut our losses and drop the relationship. And then in a major study in 2002 done by the UVA, the National Marriage Project, entitled Why Men Won't Commit, there were several interesting findings, and I'll just share two of them. Number one was men wanted compatibility, and they said compatibility, this was their definition, above all meant someone who showed a willingness to take them as they are and not change them. More than a few of the men express resentment at women who try to change them. Some of the men describe marital compatibility as finding a woman who will fit into their life. If you are truly compatible, then you don't have to change, one man commented. And he continues to live in his mama's basement. All right? Um, Just saying, okay? Number two, this is how the report concluded. The report concluded, cohabitation gives men regular access to the domestic and sexual ministrations of a girlfriend while allowing them to lead a more independent life and continue to look around for a better partner. Those are the trends. What's wrong within us? You know, what kind, you know, we kind of snickered at the beginning of the Jewish list for acceptable practices uh, for divorce, like, you know, not cooking a cooked meal uh, very well or twirling in the streets. But what about our own hearts? You know, what's in them? You know, do we, are we treating women or others as if they're some commodity? You know, are we disposing of our spouses uh, when it becomes inconvenient or when tough times come and it requires change? Are we so selfish that if it doesn't work in the way that we want it to work, then we exchange one for another? Are we seeing divorce as our right, as if it were the law to automatically happen? Is that what's happening in our own hearts? Is that what's going on? And unfortunately, the answer is yes. And just like in Jesus' day, and just like today, it breaks our hearts. And he knows that. He knows that. He's the one who brought this up and wanted to address our hearts. 
He knows what it can do to hurt you and to hurt the ones that we say that we love. And so he took this head on. In fact, um, what we're about to see is that Jesus uh, raises the bar and we see it more clearly in a later interaction that he had with the religious leaders of the day. And so they wanted him to take a side. They wanted him to be in one of these camps to pit, you know, and show that he's wrong or something. And he does something amazing. He does something unexpected in this interaction that elevates himself uh, amongst these battling sides. So let's see what he does. In Matthew 19, 3, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And so what Jesus does here is brilliant. It's brilliant. He doesn't like... um, you know, reference some kind of school thought. He doesn't reference like some kind of, you know, religious party, one of the parties that's going on. Instead, he goes back to scripture and he goes back to the very first book that was written in Genesis. And he says, you remember in Genesis when God institutes marriage at the beginning of time that was between a man and a woman. And he says that the two are united into one. That word united means to be bonded, to be glued permanently together. It can't be undone. That was God's original intention for marriage. And here's his purpose for marriage. You know, this kind of gets lost. When a man and woman come together, it is to help each other to become God's masterpieces. You know, the famous um, artist that we all know, Michelangelo, when he Uh, was finished carving David, someone asked him, you know, how did you do that? And his reply was, I looked inside the marble and I took away what wasn't David. And it's a lot like what we should be doing with our spouses. You know, we should look in the inside and see what God is making and be excited. We should be able to say to our spouses, you know, I see what God is making you into be, and I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you. I want to be a part of what God is doing in your life and who he is making you to become. So when we stand at the end of time together, And God says, well done, good and faithful servants. I get to see exactly the masterpiece that God was making you as I saw back in time coming out at different times when we were together. And I want to cheer you on now because I see the glimpses of what God is making you into and I want to be there for you as God continues to make you into the person that he wants you to become. If we have that attitude, if we have that type of affirmation that's going on, when we do stand before God one day, he will simply say to us, well done, good and faithful servants, because over time, you made each other better. You sacrificed for each other. You held each other up in prayer when times got tough 
and you could have called it quits. You continued to be in the conversation in the midst of your conflicts. You made each other better. You helped others. You loved others. You helped others through your marriage come to know me. And now as you stand before me, you look amazing. In fact, you look better than the day that you got married, the day before you stood before Trent, the day that you stood before Tim, and when you first got married, you have come so far and you are the masterpieces of what I have wanted to create in you. That was the purpose of marriage. That's what God intended. That was the permanence that he desired for all of us. You know, when I think about um, Sarah and I, when we met, um, we've been married uh, almost 19 years. And um, when we met, I remember the second date that we were on, I uh, held her hand. And uh, it was amazing. I mean, here's this person that I just knew. I just knew. I had dated enough, and I was just like, she is unbelievable. She is amazing. But you know what's happened over time? Over time, when I hold her hand, there is a depth that was not there when I first met her. She has done so much to make me a better person. She has loved me so much when I've been unlovable. She has helped to resolve conflict when we have been in conflict. We have been there together through tough times and there is a richness and a depth of love that I would have never experienced if she didn't hold my hand. And I have everything to be thankful for, for her being in my life. That's what God intended. That's what he wants. He wants you cheering each other on to become the masterpieces that he wants you to become. And often he uses each other to do that. And that's hard because we want our own way. And there's been times that I've been selfish in our marriage. And there's been times that I've been called out. And I am so glad because I am a better person today than I was yesterday. So that's what God wants to do. But unfortunately, we know what's in our hearts. And unfortunately, the religious leaders had evil hearts, and they didn't like Jesus' response to their question. And so they continued in. Verse 7, Then why did Moses say in the law? In the law? Moses didn't make this a command. I mean, when you look at Deuteronomy 24.3, where uh, Jesus was quoting, um, they knew that it wasn't a law, but they were trying to trap him. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. But Jesus saw what was in their hearts and what was going on. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted, not commanded, big difference. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And so divorce was permitted in the Jewish culture uh, because it was a concession due to their hard hearts. 
God knew what was going to happen. He knew that they weren't going to listen to him. And so Moses provided a certificate of divorce, which actually protected a woman. I mean, here's Jesus's day and it was bad enough. Back in Moses's day, it was even worse for women. I mean, they had no rights. So when he provided a certificate of divorce, it protected them. And this is how it protected them. It allowed them to remarry. It allowed them to remarry and receive the protection and the security of another man instead of just being casted aside. And so then Jesus concludes with verse nine. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So Jesus raised the bar because his standard brought focus back onto God's original intention that marriage is a permanent bond. And he doesn't want us scheming, how can I get out of this? You know, what do I do? He wants us to remain faithful to our spouse and experience the oneness, the depth, the love through all the tough times, through all the good times and everything that he created in marriage, because people aren't objects. People are not objects or quests to be conquered or to be ditched. Everyone matters to God. And so he wants us to do the right thing where we are at. He wants us to do the right thing where we are at. Now you may be asking, well, did Jesus permit divorce? He did, but he didn't command it. He didn't command it because as Jesus said, our hearts aren't always right. And he would go on to further speak and the apostle Paul went further to write about these things. And yes, divorce was permitted uh, for adultery and for a non-Christ follower who married another non-Christ follower. And all of a sudden this person becomes a Christ follower. And Paul says, hey, if this person has an issue with that and they want to depart, you let them go. It's okay. That's what they want. But you, you stay committed. You be in the relationship. You don't leave. That's what he wrote. And even if scriptures don't specifically say anything about divorce for spousal abuse or destroying addictions or other perversions, is there enough scripture to help us think through these things and to make the right call? Absolutely yes. There is. So, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was bringing it back into our current situations. And so what is God asking you today? What does God want you to do in your current situation? You know? What does it mean to be all in in our marriage relationships or as divorced individuals? It's about doing the right thing where we're at. So here's how that may look for you. Maybe you're in a marriage right now and it is just coasting. There's no trouble in the marriage, but everything is just kind of coasting. Uh, you're not becoming the person that God wants you to become. And you're definitely not cheering on your spouse to become the person that God wants them to become. And you're just coasting. Well, doing the right thing right now is simply saying, God, I need your help. 
And I want to get on track to becoming the person that you want me to become. I want to cheer on my spouse. I don't want to be resent for, for, the, for them. I see that maybe they're growing in their relationship with God, and I've just become resentful. And so, God, I don't want that in our marriage. That's me. And so, God, I want to cheer them on. We want to become the masterpieces that you want us to become. That's being all in. For others of you, maybe you have been devastated. And maybe there is such a weight where you are considering a divorce right now. Or there is someone uh, that has cheated on you. And you are about to end it. You are about to sign the papers. We understand. But would you simply pause? Would you consider asking God for help? Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you need to say, God, what do you want me to do? God, let me speak to someone who can give me guidance just to make sure that I am doing the right thing where I am at. And so, God, I'm going to pause. I'm going to ask you for help. I'm going to invite you into this situation. Would you be willing to do that? For others of you, maybe you were the one who ended the marriage, uh, whether that was legitimately or illegitimately, and you have been living with so much regret and so much shame and so much guilt for doing that, and you have wondered, like, is there enough forgiveness for me? Realize there is. So long the church would not speak about that or say it in a wrong way. There is more than enough forgiveness for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for all of our sins. And so today, the right thing for you is simply maybe asking God for forgiveness. If you were the one who was selfishly living and got divorced for a selfish reason, you need to ask for forgiveness and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me to move on? Because God wants you to move on. He wants you to be engaged with him in a relationship, and he wants you to be used in other people's lives. He doesn't want you carrying that stuff around anymore. And so would you put that behind you, and would you simply ask for forgiveness and do what he wants you to do? You are not worthless, and he wants you to be used in people's lives. Or maybe you're uh, in the moment or the situation where you uh, were not a Christ follower and you got divorced and maybe that person was a Christ follower and it's been so many years and yet you know they never got remarried. Would you consider asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Is there a way for us to remarry? Is there a way to be reconciled? Is there something that you want to do? So would you do the thing of asking God, God, is that what you want? And would you talk to someone about that and say, God, maybe that's the right next step for me. Or there's some of you that uh, you have had uh, a relationship or you have a relationship where that person has cheated on you 
They have committed adultery and they have abandoned you and abused you. And you have talked to many counselors and you have talked to uh, many pastors and everyone says the same thing. And you've prayed long enough and you have been trying to reconcile this thing, but it's just not going anywhere. It's time. Unfortunately, it's time to end the marriage. Yes, that's not what God wants. He wanted it to be a permanent relationship. But yes, the Lord gives permission in certain conditions. And you need to hear that. Because you've been trying and trying and trying. And you feel so guilty. You need to do it. Divorce is always messy. It was not what God intended. It was something that came about because our hearts were stubborn. And because of the condition of our hearts, it ruined our lives and it can continue to ruin our lives. And that's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to bring healing in your situation right now. And so this is what we're going to do today. Today, I'm going to close in prayer. And would you consider being all in? Here's what that means. As I close in prayer, would you ask God, God, give me your wisdom of what's the right next step in my situation. Would you speak that to me? Would you let me know what that is? And then we're going to close uh, with a song today, Yes, I Will. And we're going to sing that as a song of declaration because we are going to trust that God will speak into our situations. We may be like going in a thousand different directions with our minds and trying to play out everything, but instead, would we just take this moment to pause, look to God, and say, God, I trust you with my current situation to help me do the right thing where I am at, and I will trust you that you will speak into my situation. And so right now, God, I'm going to sing praise to you because you have always done that in all of our lives. You bring these things up before we even ask them. And so God, I'm going to trust you in my situation. And then others of you, maybe you need to talk a little more in particulars. And so we've got a group of people that are wearing uh, prayer badges uh, that are going to be over there. And if you need to talk further about your particular situation, please do that. This is the beginning of a conversation, not the end of one. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, if you would, let's pray together. So if you would stand and uh, pray with me to close us out today. And then we are going to sing this song uh, to him. So, Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you for coming and Jesus showing us exactly who you are. We're so thankful that you took these things on without us even asking because you know that we are hurting. You know that this subject is not something to talk lightly about. And you know how much it can ruin our lives. And you don't want that. And so, Father, today, I just, as we talk about this, may we approach you now and speak with you. 
And may we say something like, God, we need wisdom in my current situation. Father, I don't know what the next step is, but would you clearly show me what that is in my situation? And when you show me, I will be all in. And I know that's a tough thing, but God, I want to do what you want me to do. I know you have my best intentions in your mind. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know our situations. So, Father, today we trust you with our lives, with our circumstances, with our relationships. Father, speak to our hearts. And today we are going to sing this song as a declaration, praising you that we know that you are going to speak and that you can be trusted. So right now we turn to you and we just want to say, Father, we trust you. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen.